Open your Bible with me this morning to Deuteronomy in chapter 27. How many know that the gospel is good news? And not only is it um, good news, it's also the power of God unto salvation. And if you want to do an interesting study, begin to look at what does the word salvation mean? What does the word salvation include? You know, it goes so much further than just being um, cleansed from your sins and escaping hell, escaping hell. It goes so much further than those um, two extremes. You know, we don't have to live with the pay for the wages of sin as Jesus did that already. But that's, you know, one extreme of it. Yet there's something that salvation includes in the here and now, in this life. There is many things that salvation covers, and yet so often we haven't walked in them. And so take the time and look up, what does the word salvation mean? Well, it, it, includes, spirit, it includes everything that you need for life and for godliness, both in your physical body, in your spiritual side, and your soulish realm. Complete freedom in all those realms. Complete light, divine life in those three realms. And that's what salvation is. So in Deuteronomy chapter 27, we're going to, just with the premise that the gospel is the good news, because if you leave halfway through the sermon this morning, you're going to think that I was giving you bad news. <laughs> but just stay hooked and you'll see that it's very good news. It's going to turn out really well. All right. So in, in Deuteronomy chapter 27, just a little bit of a history before we begin reading. When God created uh, the earth and He puts man in the Garden of Eden and He gives them dominion and He says, all right, this thing is yours. He, he creates it and then He says, all right, here, it's yours. In fact, let's start, Adam, with you just going ahead and naming all the animals and then from there, you know, it's yours. You have dominion over it. You go ahead and rule it and and I mean, from the birds in the air to the fish in the sea, they're yours. And we know what happened next was that Adam and Eve, they ended up giving the rights of dominion away because they did not submit to God's orders anymore. Instead, they put themselves under the lordship of the devil by doing what he said rather than by what the Lord said. And in so doing, suddenly the father had this planet he'd created and given unto man and he'd created man so that he could have fellowship with them. He'd created them like himself to have dominion, to rule and to reign and to have fellowship with them. And suddenly, here they were. They had cut themselves off spiritually. They'd died a spiritual death. And they'd handed over the rights to this thing to the enemy. And so, this whole thing needs an answer. And it was an answer that the Lord had already had a plan for. He, he saw that it was coming. And so, he started it with this. He, he goes to the earth and he finds a man that he could make a covenant with. That man was Abraham. And he, and he finds a man that he can cut a blood covenant with. And if you have studied blood covenants at all, you understand that a blood covenant meant that what's yours is now mine and what's mine is now yours even so far as your children. And all the things and blessings that you have 
Also now I have the rights to require those and call those mine. And all the blessings and things that I have are now yours and can belong to you. And so he finds Abraham and he makes this agreement with him and he goes, all right, and through your seed and through your descendants and, and through your, your people, Abraham, we're going to get this thing back. And 400 years later, there's the children of Israel and He gives them the law. Still in the Abrahamic covenant, but now He gives them the law. 613 laws He delivers to the children of Israel and saying, you keep these 613 laws and you'll have life by them if you keep them. And yet, we know how that turned out. The further time went, the further they got away from the Lord. And so the answer was sending Jesus. Through this, through this man that he'd made covenant with, Abraham, through his lineage, I'll put my own son into the earth. And we'll get this whole thing back. And we're going to come back to that, but I wanted to set the stage with that. So now, these 613 laws and commandments had been given to the children of Israel. That's where we're going to take off reading. These instructions had been given in Deuteronomy 27, but... As we're going to see, there was some severe consequences for not keeping these laws. There was blessings for keeping them. In fact, there was the blessing of Abraham, which we're going to read later this morning, which came before these laws ever showed up on the scene. The blessings of Abraham were there. And then these laws show up, and he gives them these laws, he gives them the rules, and, and he gives blessings also with them. In verse 9... It says, Moses and the Levitical priests spoke to all Israel. Be silent, Israel, and listen. This day you have become the people of the Lord your God. Obey the Lord your God and follow His commands and statutes I am giving you today. On that day Moses commanded the people, when you have crossed the Jordan, these tribes will stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people. And he names all the tribes off. And, and in verse 14, the Levites will proclaim in a loud voice to every Israelite, and they begin to pronounce curses from this mountain upon all the tribes of Israel that if they would not keep the command of the Lord, these curses would come upon them. Verse 15, Cursed is the person who makes a carved idol or a cast image, which is detestable to the Lord, the work of a craftsman, and sets it up in secret, and all the people will reply, Amen. Then cursed is the one who dishonors his father and mother, and they all say amen. And he goes right on down the list of all these curses. Cursed is the person who does this. Cursed is the person. And so we make it all the way down to verse 26. Sum it all up with verse 26. Cursed is anyone who does not put the words of this law into practice. And all the people will say amen. Have any of you ever felt cursed? Yeah, we have someone honest here at least. I suppose if, if we're really honest, probably at some point, most of us have felt that way. Like, man, there's, like, there's a, been a curse on this thing. And here, the children of Israel, they had stood up and said, alright, these curses be on us if we don't keep these laws. Now, in verse 28, it's going to detail, I mean, in chapter 28, it's going to detail what this curse is. He goes over a few blessings through the first 15 verses, um, uh, 14 verses, some, some great blessings. And then in verse 15, he begins to describe the curse. Now, I want you to pay close attention to this because 
This, the curse was threefold. It was poverty. And it was, had to do with your physical body, with sickness and diseases, and also had to do with your spiritual life and spiritual death. So verse 15, let's begin reading. It says, If you do not obey the Lord your God by carefully following all His commands and statutes I am giving you today. Now notice it doesn't say, if you keep most of them, you'll be fine. Not all. Someone say all. If you do not keep all of these commands and statutes, 613 of them, that I'm giving you today, all of these curses will come and overtake you. Not just one or two, but man, all of them. You will be cursed in the city. Oh, maybe we should move to the country then. Oh, nope, it says you'll be cursed in the country too. Can't get away from that one then. Your basket and your kneading bowl will be cursed. That's your, your you know, savings accounts. Your table, your food, your excess is going to be cursed. Your descendants will be cursed. Your soil's produce and the young of your herds and the newborn of your flocks. This is your finances. You will be cursed when you come in and cursed when you go out. How many of you have this, these verses on your refrigerator? Maybe on the wall in the bathroom? Nobody? Okay. The Lord will send against you curses, confusion, and rebuke in everything you do until you are destroyed and quickly perish because of the wickedness of your actions in abandoning me. The Lord will make a pestilence cling to you until He has exterminated you from the land you are entering to possess. The Lord will afflict you with a wasting disease, fever. Anyone ever had a fever? Inflammation. Wow, that's a big one today, isn't it? Inflammation is the cause of all kinds of diseases and problems. Burning heat, drought, blight, and mildew. These will pursue you until you perish. The sky above you will be bronze and the earth beneath you iron. The Lord will turn the rain of your land into falling dust. It will descend on you from the sky until you are destroyed. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You will march out against them from one direction, but flee from them in seven directions. You will be an object of horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. Now, people are going to look at, look at the cursed one and be like, man, don't be like them. Wow, I don't want to be like them. Look at that. Your corpse will be food for the birds of the sky and the wild animals of the land, and no one will scare them away. The Lord will inflict you with the boils of Egypt, with tumors, a festering rash and scabies from which you cannot be cured. No matter what the doctors try, they... we've got a lot of things today the doctors don't have a cure for, right? A lot of things. And the Lord will inflict you with madness, blindness, and mental confusion. You know, in here, uh, so that at noon you will grope as a blind man gropes in the dark. This, basically, you know, all of the diseases that affect the mind, you know, Alzheimer's and, and dementia, all these different things that affect the mind and body are all included in this. Cancers and tumors are in this and Let's see, where was I? Uh, verse 29, you will not be successful in anything you do. You will only be oppressed and robbed continually and no one will help you. Man, sickness and finances, just 
and your descendants just absolutely oppressed, just um, losing at every corner, at every side, every battle. Verse 30, you will become engaged to a woman, but another man will rape her. You will build a house, but not live in it. You will plant a vineyard, but not enjoy its fruit. Your ox will be slaughtered before your eyes, but you will not eat any of it. Your donkey will be taken away from you and not returned to you. Your flock will be given to your enemies, and no one will help you. Your sons and daughters will be given to another people, while your eyes grow weary looking for them every day. But you will be powerless to do anything. Well, that's, that's a bad place to be, powerless to do anything about it. A people you don't know will eat your soiled produce and everything you've labored for. You will only be oppressed and crushed continually. You ever thought, man, when is this going to end? You will be driven mad by what you see. The Lord will afflict you on your knees and thighs with painful and incurable boils from the sole of your foot to the top of your head. The Lord will bring you and your king that you have appointed to a nation neither... You nor your fathers have known, and there you will worship other gods of wood and stone. You will become an object of horror, scorn, and ridicule among all the peoples where the Lord will drive you. You will sow much seed in the field, but harvest little, because locusts will devour it. You will plant and cultivate vineyards, but not drink the wine or gather the grapes, because worms will eat them. You will have olive trees throughout your territory, but not anoint yourself with oil because your olives will drop off. You will father sons and daughters, but they will not remain yours because they will be taken prisoner. Whirring insects will take possession of all your trees and your land's produce. The foreign resident among you will rise higher and higher above you while you sink lower and lower. He will lend to you, but you won't lend to him. He will be the head and you will be the tail. All these curses, someone say curses. All these curses will come and pursue and overtake you until you are destroyed. Listen, it's important that we recognize all these things as curses. They are not from the Lord. They are not His blessing. They're not, let me say it a different way. They are not given to you by the Lord because of His blessing. Or because He's trying to teach you something. Or He's trying to get you to grow in a certain way. Or He's trying to get you to uh, come higher in faith. All of these things are a curse, not a blessing. I've heard many people talk about their sickness as though it were a blessing. You know, the Lord's teaching them things. And, and I recognize that the Word tells us that for all those that love the Lord... Things are going to turn out well. In Romans 8 you'll find that. That he takes even what the enemy means for disaster and makes good come from it. But you have to understand it was the enemy who, who brought it. The Lord is the one who turns it on his head and causes good to come from it. If, if the Lord's will is that you suffer under the curse, then we ought never try to get out from under the curse. Let me just make it more simple. Some people say, you know, I've had family members that have had cancer and other things and they've looked at it as, well, you know, um, whatever the, we've been praying and asking the Lord for healing, um, but we want the Lord's will to be done. Whatever the Lord's will is. To which my reply is, well, the Lord's will is that you're healed. Well, they weren't certain about that. 
They said, well, we don't want to be presumptuous and think we know what the Lord's will is. We just want the Lord to have His way and His will. Well, I had a question then. So, by you going to the doctor and trying to get better, it's possible you are trying to get out of the will of the Lord if the Lord's will is that you have cancer. So wouldn't it be better, this was what I said, wouldn't it be better for you to first find out from the Lord if He's the one who wants you to have cancer or not? And if He wants you to have cancer, don't try to get better, enjoy it. Ask for more of it, because that's the Lord's will for you. Don't just sit here in the dark and say, well, I don't know what the Lord's will is. No, find out. Lord, is it your will that I have cancer? I can tell you what he's going to say. Because I know him. And I know what the word says. And the word says that these things are a curse. So if they're on you, who, who's the one that brings the curse? The enemy. He's the one that enacts it. And in our English reading Bible, we read this and it says the Lord will do this and the Lord will do this. But really, the, they have in the Hebrew, they have a permissive verb and a causative verb. And it is my understanding from what I've read, I don't know Hebrew, I'm just quoting to you from the vines, but that are from Young's, that the, in, the verb in the Hebrew was actually the causative. The Lord will permit these things to come to you. Not that the Lord's going to put them on you, but that they were permissive. The Lord will permit these things. And so we read it as the Lord is causing it. So that's something that's a little bit blind to us in the English. However, you know, when the Lord pronounces judgment on something, He takes His hand off and the enemy comes in and does what He does. Paul said it this way, you remember all the children of Israel when they were unthankful and murmured and snakes came in and people started dying and Moses had to put up that brass serpent and people had to look at the serpent. Well, Paul, when Paul writes about this in the New Testament, he said, you know, when you read it in the Old Testament, when you read it where it happened, it says the Lord sent snakes and the Lord did all this stuff. But when Paul quotes it, how many believe he probably had a better understanding of Hebrew than what we do today? When Paul quotes it, he said the destroyer came in. And he said the devil is the destroyer. So we understand that what the Lord did was when, once the Lord takes His protection off of you, then the destroyer comes and does what He does. He destroys. And all these crops and everything that were getting damaged, all these insects that were coming and the locusts and the worrying insects and things that were destroying the crops and the olives that are falling off and all these different things that are happening to these people's crops, that's a curse. And we know that the destroyer is the one who does those things. In fact, you can go to Malachi where he's talking about the tithe. And he said, man, you guys are under a curse because you are stealing from me. You're not returning the tithe to me. He said, why don't you test me in this? Give the whole tithe to me and I will rebuke the devourer for you. He didn't say, I'll quit damaging your crops. The curse was on them, he said. But if you would do what the law is telling you to do, then I will rebuke the devourer. Not rebuke myself for damaging your crops. So we have to be really, really clear that what is curse? Poverty is curse. Sickness is curse. Mental, um, mental sickness is curse. Spiritual death is curse. 
All of these things are curse. None of them are from the Lord. Well, does that mean that if you get cancer, the Lord um, can't do any good through it? Well, of course He can. You know, if you go out and have a car accident, well, you can exercise your faith. You can thank the Lord that He protected your life. You can exercise your faith to get another car and come out of the whole thing stronger than when the whole thing happened. But none of that was God doing it to you. It was the enemy trying to come in and destroy and to steal and to kill. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. So in spite of the curse coming, in spite of the enemy coming, there is a way for you to have super abundant, overflowing, divine life. The fullness of life. Let's just be real clear. All these things we're reading are cursed. They are not the blessings of the Lord. Verse 45, we'll begin again. All these curses will come, pursue, and overtake you until you are destroyed, since you did not obey the Lord your God and keep the commands and statutes He gave you. These curses will be a sign and wonder against you and your descendants forever because you didn't serve the Lord your God with joy and a cheerful heart, even though you had an abundance of everything. You will serve your enemies the Lord will send against you in famine, thirst, nakedness, and a lack of everything. He will place an iron yoke on your neck until He has destroyed you. The Lord will bring a nation from far away from the ends of the earth to swoop down on you like an eagle, a nation whose language you don't understand, a ruthless nation, showing no respect for the old and not sparing the young. They will eat the offspring of your livestock and your soil's produce until you are destroyed. They will leave you no grain, new wine, oil, young of your herds, or newborn of your flocks until they cause you to perish. They will besiege you within all your gates until your high and fortified walls that you trust in come down throughout your land. They will besiege you within all your gates throughout the land the Lord your God has given you. You will eat your children, the flesh of your sons and daughters, the Lord your God has given you during the siege, and hardship your enemy imposes on you. The most sensitive and refined man among you will look grudgingly at his brother, the wife he embraces, and the rest of his children, refusing to share with any of them his children's flesh that he will eat because he has nothing left during the siege, and hardship your enemy imposes on you in all your towns. This is horrible, isn't it? Heavy duty stuff. The most sensitive and refined woman among you who would not venture to set the sole of her foot in the ground because of her refinement and sensitivity will begrudge the husband she embraces, her son and her daughter, the afterbirth that comes out from between her legs and the children she bears because she will secretly eat them for lack of anything else during the siege and hardship your enemy imposes on you within your gates. All curse. If you're not careful to obey all the words of this law, it doesn't say most of them, maybe if you get most of it right, all of it. If you're not careful to obey all the words of this law, which are written in this scroll, by fearing this glorious and awesome name, Yahweh your God, He will bring extraordinary plagues on you and your descendants, severe and lasting plagues and terrible and chronic sicknesses. Someone say curse. He will afflict you again with all the diseases of Egypt which you dreaded, and they will cling to you. The Lord will also inflict you with every sickness and plague not recorded in the book of this law until you are destroyed. Did you hear that? Every sickness. 
So there's not one sickness that exists that is not part of the curse. Every sickness not named in this book. Does that leave any out? Can anyone think of a sickness that is not included in that? Of course not, because it says every that's not named in the book. Verse 62, though you were as numerous as the stars of the sky, you will be left with only a few people because you did not obey the Lord your God. Just as the Lord was glad to cause you to prosper and multiply, to multiply you, so He will also be glad to cause you to perish and destroy you. You will be deported from the land you are entering to possess. Then the Lord will scatter you among all the peoples from one end of the earth to the other, and there you will worship other gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your fathers have known. You will find no peace among those nations, and there will be no resting place for the sole of your foot. You know, not having peace and not having rest is part of the curse. Depression. And stress, part of the curse. There the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing eyes, and despondent spirit. Hmm. Depression, bad eyesight, heart attacks, part of the curse. Your life will hang in doubt before you. Uncertainty and confusion. You will be in dread night and day, never certain of survival, fear. All part of the curse. In the morning you will say, if it were only evening. And in the evening you will say, if it were only morning. And on Monday you will say, if it were only Friday. And on Friday you will say, or on Monday you'll say, man, the weekend was short. I guess that wasn't in here. but (laughs) Verse 67. In the morning you will say, if it were only evening. And in the evening you will say, if it were only morning. Because of the dread you will have in your heart. And because of what you will see. The Lord will take you back in ships to Egypt by a route that I said you would never see again. There you will sell yourselves to your enemies as male and female slaves, but no one will buy you. Unwanted. All of these things are curse. All of these things are very bad news. And this is not what we are called to preach. This is not what belongs to you and I. This is not part of what we are to stand up and proclaim to people. This belongs to you. The curse belongs to you. Bless the Lord for this sickness. None of that. Y'all ready to quit and go home? Let's go to Galatians. A whole bunch of you knew that's where we were going, right? Galatians chapter 3, and we're going to look at verse 13, and then we're going to start going back and filling in the blanks. Galatians 3 verse 13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And now that is good news. That is what we are to preach. That whole thing, everything I just read is part of the curse of the law. In fact, they were to stand on the mountain and to declare to each other and yell out over the whole group of them, Hey, y'all, if you do this, you're cursed! And everyone said amen. I mean, that's what it says, right? But then down through the ages, something happened. 
God sent Jesus, His only Son. And He became that curse. Took that curse. He became sin. says He didn't know and He never sinned. But yet He became sin. In 2 Corinthians 5, you see that. So that we might become His righteousness. And so here it reads in 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. In Deuteronomy 21, at the end of the chapter, it talks about if you execute somebody and you kill them, not not if you hang them on a tree to die, but if you kill them and then you hang them up on a tree, that they are considered cursed because whatever they did that deserves that kind of shame and disrespect is so horrible they're even cursed by God. See, they were supposed to be operating according to the law. And, he, and, and then he even had, it was so bad, they had rules about, you know, if you hang someone on a tree, make sure that by the time the sun goes down, that you pull them down off the tree and bury them, else the land will be defiled and cursed. In other words, what, what they did was so bad that the, their shame, they wanted it displayed to everyone. You don't treat people that way, right? Hang up their dead bodies for everyone to see. I mean, that's very shameful, very dishonorable. It's, it's what you do to a cursed person. And yet, even so, the Lord says, man, bring them down and bury them so the land isn't defiled. Well, defiled by smell and defiled by, you know, you keep seeing that. It hurts people's minds to see that. And so that's why this is what, it, what it's quoting when it says, Cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. He's quoting that verse out of Deuteronomy 21. And Christ has redeemed us. What does the word redeemed mean? Purchased, right? Brought back. Bought back. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Someone say, I am redeemed. I am redeemed from the curse. I, know, I mean, I am. How about you? You want to repeat it after me? I am redeemed, I am redeemed from, the curse. from the curse. Let's back up to verse 6 of Galatians 3. Just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness, that's a quote out of the Old Testament, out of Genesis 15, verse 6. Maybe we'll read that in a bit. But, He believed something the Lord said to him and it was credited as righteousness to him. So understand that those who have faith are Abraham's sons. Now the scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and foretold the good news or the gospel to Abraham saying, all nations will be blessed in you. So those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. The faith of Abraham, isn't that what we say? Jen mentioned this morning that, you know, about Abraham and Isaac, how they had lied. But that's not what we remember them for, is it? We remember them, Abraham is a man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Because it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue doing everything written in the book of the law. 
613 laws. Cursed is everyone who does not continue doing everything written in the book of the law. We just read that verse back in Deuteronomy. That's where it's quoting it from. Now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. That's another prophetic quote from the Old Testament. But the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. In other words, if you kept the law, you could have life. Yet no one kept it. Verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from all those horrible curses that we read. Christ has bought us back from, purchased us back, has paid the price, took that curse upon Himself so that we might not have the curse on us. In fact, if you back up here in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Paul considered since Christ did it for him, it's the same as he did it. Right? He took, Christ took your place. And Paul saying Christ took the curse for us. He redeemed us from the curse of the law. By the way, I was nailed to the cross with Him. So all my sins have been paid for. That debt has been paid and the balance has been paid in full. It's no longer an outstanding debt to me. And all the curse that comes with that debt is now paid in full. The price has been met. I have been bought with a price. The price of my life in Christ. Because Christ is the one who paid that debt. And Paul is saying, I've been crucified with Him, and I'm not even, I don't live anymore. He's talking about that flesh nature. But he goes on and he says something else there. He says, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. He's saying, I live by faith, alright, but it's in Him. So now let's jump back down here to verse 13. We'll just read it again. I like reading this verse. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. You know, I like to just, over sickness, when I have sickness in my body or my children's bodies or I'm experiencing poverty or any one of those curses, right? I just remind that thing that I'm redeemed from the curse of the law. And it is not right that a righteous person be paying the penalty of that curse. Righteous in Christ, based on what He did. You know what, um, when Jesus healed the woman who had the spirit of infirmity, infirmity and it's on, it's on a Sabbath day, and so she's there, and it says she had a spirit of infirmity, and He says to her, woman, you're loosed. And then the, the rulers of the synagogue got on His case for healing someone on the Sabbath day. And He says, Ought not this woman who is a child of Abraham be loosed from this infirmity? He's asking a question. Ought not? He's saying it's owed. That word ought means it's owed. It's owed to, and he doesn't just say this woman. He calls her a child of Abraham because of the covenant. Because of the promises that were made to Abraham. He's saying because of that covenant, it's owed to her. Not because of how great she is. Not because of her righteousness. But because of who she, whose she is and where she comes from. Child of Abraham. It's owed to her. Well, how much more is redemption from the curse for you and I because of what Christ did and the price He paid for us? How much more is it owed to the righteous? Healing and 
all the things that are included in salvation, but for sure all the opposite of all of that curse. It would probably help us to understand. Let's uh, finish reading here, and then we're going to go back and, and read something else here. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles. Now what was the purpose? Here's the purpose. So that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles. Here's how it's going to come in Christ Jesus. Because see, they weren't of Abraham, so they couldn't inherit it. It had to come a different way. So that we could receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brothers, I'm using a human illustration. No one sets aside even a human covenant that has been ratified or makes additions to it. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The promises, the promises of Abraham that were given to Abraham were given to Abraham and to his seed. It does not say, and two seeds, as though referring to many, but to your seed, referring to one who is Christ. And I say this, the law which came 430 years later does not revoke the covenant that was previously ratified by God. Let's say it a different way. He's saying, the promise that I gave to Abraham, the promise of Abraham didn't somehow be nullified when the law came 430 years later. That promise of Abraham still remained. Verse 18, For if the inheritance is from the law, the inheritance of the promise, the rights to the promise, and inheriting the fulfillment of the promise, is from the law, it is no longer from the promise. But God granted it to Abraham through the promise or through His Word. God promised those things to Abraham and the law did not in some way make so those promises no longer existed or were no longer valid. The law brought the curse. So why the law then? He said it was added because of transgressions until the seed to when the promise to whom the promise was made would come. Let's just for the sake of time skip down to verse 26. It says, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So through faith in Christ, we're sons of God. For as many as you have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed. Heirs according to the promise. Heirs of the promise. The promise to Abraham. Now I say that as long as the heir is a child, he differs in no way from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. Instead, he is under guardians and stewardship until the time set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were in slavery under the elemental forces of the world. But when the completion of the time came... God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. See, everyone's under the law prior to redemption. Everyone, the law's been given, and so everyone falls under that curse until redemption comes. Verse 6 well, let's just say it another way. In Romans, Paul said, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All right? 
Verse 6, and because you are sons of God, someone say, I'm a son. God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. An heir of what? We know what the curse is. It's sickness and poverty and disease and broken down and broken and run off and run out and depressed and all kinds of horrible things, right? That's what the curse is. So we are an heir of what? Well, an heir of the promise of Abraham. An heir of life eternal, of relationship with the Father. An heir of... Jesus told His disciples, pray this way, right? That, the, that God's will would be done on the earth just as it is in heaven. Is there sickness in heaven? No. Is there poverty in heaven? Well, that's laughable. Is there depression in heaven? No. Is there broken relationships in heaven? No. All of those things part of the curse. And he's saying pray like it is in heaven that it be done on the earth. That's what we're an heir of. And not some future faraway day when we get to heaven. But right here, right now, in the earth. Today is the day of salvation. It does not say when you die and, and go in the great beyond that that is salvation. No, today is the day of salvation. And part of that word salvation, we already talked about it, includes healing and life and health and prosperity even is included in that. Say, wait, is this a health and wealth gospel? Absolutely. Absolutely. Not to serve ourselves, but to make Him look good. To glorify Him. Jesus is going to have His glory. The Father will have His glory. Over the enemy. And the enemy is the one who brings the curse. Who releases the curse in the earth. The promise of Abraham. What is that? Let's go back and look at it. In Genesis 12. We're just going to do a real quick overview of Abraham and his life. And the promise that came to Abraham from the Father. Which will help you to understand the difference between blessing and curse. And the which one you're under. Just because you experience curse does not mean that you are subject to the curse. Does not mean that you have to be submitted to curse. Okay, we live in a broken and fallen planet. And we have to actively wage war against those element, elemental forces. Right? By the name of Jesus. So in chapter one, I'm in chapter twelve of Genesis. This is the where it, my Bible just says here it's the call of Abram. The Lord said in verse one to Abram, "Go out from your land. Your, this is the word of the Lord. Go out from your land, your relatives and your father's house to the land that I will show you." Now here's where the promises begin. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. This is some pretty amazing promises, right? This is the promise of Abraham. This is where it begins. Now it gets better than this, but he just keeps adding to it. Never does he take away and say, okay, the previous promise is now done and doesn't apply anymore and we're going to just do this one. 
But it's always adding to what was. So you're going to be blessed. I'm going to bless those who bless you. So when someone blesses you, the Lord blesses them because they blessed you. few of you think so. So Abraham leaves and he goes and he makes his way down. Eventually he becomes so great that him and Lot have to split ways because there's not enough. The land isn't big enough to hold them. So Lot chooses his direction and we know how he goes down to Sodom and Gomorrah. And um, in, in verse Chapter 13 is something that the Lord said to Abraham, or Abram. At this point, his name was still Abram. In verse 14 of chapter 13, after Lot had separated from him, the Lord said to Abram, Look from the place where you are. So he's saying, Lift up your eyes and look. Look north and south, east and west, for I will give you and your offspring forever all the land that you see. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that. If one could count the dust of the earth, then your offspring could be counted. Get up and walk from one end of the land to the other, for I will give it to you. Now, what happens right after this is Sodom and Gomorrah get attacked by a whole bunch of kings that got together in league against Sodom and Gomorrah. And they take that whole valley and those cities captive and carry them off. Adam, uh, Abram, he gets wind of this, and so he and his 300 servants and men, they decide we're going to do something about this, and they go after them and defeat them and bring everything back, liberate them. And we're going to pick up here in chapter 14, uh, in verse 17, after Abram returned from defeating uh, Chedlaramer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of peace, Brought, a king of Salem brought out bread and wine. That's a type of the bread and the wine, right? Uh, of the communion table. Jesus' body and His blood. He was a priest to God Most High and He blessed Him and said, and this is what He's saying on behalf of God, Abraham is blessed by God Most High, Creator of heaven and earth, and give praise to God Most High who has handed over your enemies to you. And Abraham gave him a tithe of everything. Then the king of Sodom said to Abraham, you know, give me the people but take the possessions for yourself. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand in an oath to the Lord God Most High, Creator of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or sandal strap or anything that belongs to you so that you can never say, I made Abraham rich. I will take nothing except what the servants have eaten. But as for the share of the men who came with me, he's saying they can take their share. And then the very next verse, verse 1, after these events, the words of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. He said, don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. Literal to this is, I'm your great reward. I'm your great paycheck. This is the promise of Abraham again. I'm your, I'm your reward. I'm your paycheck. But Abraham said, Lord God, what can you give me since I'm childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abraham continued, look, you've given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. Oh, great. Lord, you're going to make me rich, but a slave is going to inherit it all is what he's saying. Verse 4, now the word of the Lord came to him. This one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look at the sky and count the stars if you're able to count them. 
Then he said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. This was what we had quoted earlier in Galatians. Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him for righteousness. Now, we, go, we, go, we know what happened in the meantime. Um, he took Sarah's handmaiden, slave, and had a child with her because it just wasn't happening with him and Sarah. And we know that that didn't turn out real great. Let's go to uh, chapter 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, this is after he'd had that other child, the Lord appeared to him saying, remember, we're looking at what is the promise of Abraham. The Lord appeared saying, I am God Almighty. Live in my presence and be devout. I will establish my covenant between me and you and I will multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell to the ground and God spoke with him. As for me, my covenant is with you and you will become the father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abram, but your name will be Abraham. For I will make you the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful and will make nations and kings come from you. I will keep my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant to be your God and the God of your offspring after you. And to you and your offspring after you, I will give the land where you are residing, all the land of Canaan as an eternal possession, and I will be their God. And he goes on and tells them, look, I want you to... um, As blood covenant between me and you, I want you to circumcise yourself and all the males that belong to you in your household. From slaves to sons, all of the males are going to, from this day forward, be circumcised because it is to be a reminder to them of who they belong to. Blood covenant. So every person being born after that was also going to be cut into that blood covenant, but by circumcision. And this was to be the reminder. And then... then, um, The Lord also told him in verse 15, let's just read there quickly. God said to Abraham, As for your wife Sarai, do not call her Sarai, for Sarah will be her name. I will bless her. Indeed, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she will produce nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell to the ground, laughed and thought in his heart, Can a child be born to a hundred-year-old man? Can Sarah, a ninety-year-old woman, give birth? I love that he calls her by her new name immediately. You know, he's, he's laughing, but he submits to the plan of the Lord. And when the Lord says, you know, I'm going to call her Sarah, man, he gets a giggle fit and said, can Sarah, how's this going to happen? Can Sarah, a 90-year-old woman, give birth? So Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael could live in your presence. This was the other son that he had with the slave woman. But God said, no, your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will name him Isaac. I will confirm my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will certainly bless him. I will make him fruitful and will multiply him greatly. He will father 12 tribal leaders and I will make him into a great nation. But I will confirm my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this time next year. So that's the promise. And then if you continue to look um, all the way over, go to 
chapter 22. And we're going to close here. In chapter 22, the Lord makes some more promises to Abraham, but first He requires something of him. Now, if we would have read in, in the chapter we'd just been reading, and if we'd have kept reading there, we would have saw the covenant, uh, the Lord's part of the blood covenant that He made was they took animals and they cut them, and the Lord came and made covenant with Him and all these things, and, and promised Him these things, the same things He'd been saying to Him. But now, you know, when I told you earlier that the Lord created the earth, He creates a man like Himself, He puts him in the garden, says rule it, have dominion over it, and then man promptly sells out the authority God gave them and sells it out to the, to the devil. In Corinthians it calls the devil the god of this world. Right? And that, that is how he got that title. In fact, when, Jesus, when, when Satan tempted Jesus on the mountain, took him to the top of the mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, he says that I'll give you all these kingdoms and these nations and their power, I'll give to you if you'll fall down and worship me. Jesus did not say, well, they don't belong to you. This was a real temptation because it really was his. But Jesus says, get behind me and just tells him to get out. He quotes a word to him. But my point is saying all that is that Satan certainly had dominion. Then what we see happening back here with Abraham is the Lord says, okay, so how do we get the thing back? Well, he knew what he was going to do. Let's make a covenant with man. But what's going to happen when he sends his son and God stands accused? Because why would you give your son for this man you made a covenant with? He wouldn't do the same thing for you. No, 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 not so. Abraham was willing to give his one and his only son for the sake of, of the Lord. Gave God the right to do the same thing in return. Remember, God and Abraham had covenant. What's mine is yours, and what's yours is mine. So here in chapter 22, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered. Take your son, he said, your only son. He uses very specific language. Your only son. He's recognizing this is the only one you have. You don't have others to carry on the promise I've given to you. Take your only son. And he tells him to go out here on the mountain and to sacrifice him. So Abraham in obedience to him did that. And when Abraham raised that knife up and was ready to plunge it down into Isaac, God was able to stand and say to all the angels, See, I can give my one and only son for them, that man, and his descendants. Because He was willing to do that for me. This is what covenant is. And this is how this now leads all the way down to Jesus and then Him sending Jesus, right? I get wet. And then, then because of that, we have, we're redeemed from the curse of the law. And the blessing of Abraham is mine. So that's the, the long story short, okay? Here, I want to read these verses to you and we'll close in verse 15 of chapter 22. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your only son, I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your offspring will possess the gates of your enemies and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because you have obeyed 
my command. This gave him the right to send Jesus because of this covenant relationship that he had. Gave him the right to make a way for the curse to be paid for and the blessing for you and I to be an heir to the blessing even though you and I are not even descendants of Abraham. We were outside of that whole thing and didn't qualify to begin with. But because we're adopted into those promises. We're adopted into something now that goes just beyond the blessing of God in this life, but now the blessing of God for forever. Did you know that the Word says what God blesses, no man can curse? Someone needs to say, I'm blessed of the Lord. That means the curse has no place in my life. I am, my finances are blessed to the Lord. It means no curse of poverty in my finances. It has no rights to me. My body and my family is blessed of the Lord. That means no sickness, no curse of disease has any rights in my family. My mind is blessed of the Lord. I have the mind of Christ. That means no dementia, no, no, sick, no depression, none of, the, none of those curses are allowed in my mind. You know what? My spirit has been born again unto the Lord. And I have the spirit of Christ in me. So that means I'm blessed in my spirit. So the curse of death, has, spiritual death, has no place in my life. But that I might know Him and have eternal life. Stand with me and let's pray. Father, I thank You that You have delivered us and redeemed us from the curse of the law. Jesus, we thank You for becoming a curse for us and taking our place and being punished on our behalf and giving us an inheritance on Your behalf. Father, we thank You for making a way for us, for opening up all of heaven to us, for bringing heaven to earth, Lord. I thank You that You give us an understanding and revelation of what we've been redeemed from, and more importantly, Father, what we're redeemed to, what we've been brought into. Give us an understanding of the, what we have. The good news of redemption. The good news of salvation that You've given to us that we might declare it and share it. That we might tell others the good news. And we know that You'll do exactly what You promised in Your Word and that power will follow the proclaiming of the good news. And we thank You for this in the mighty name of Jesus. And Amen. Well, one way that we love God is by loving one another. Um, for those of you who are interested, I'll give you a little uh, historical fact. Last Sunday, I was after the service having a conversation with Apostle Dale, and he said, on this day, I saw it in my diary today, he said, on this day in 1993, is the first time the Lord spoke that phrase to me, one way we love God is by loving one another. So that's something that we say to each other all the time. So last Sunday, however many years ago, 1993 is where... That kind of became a slogan for Church of the Word International. So, for those of you who are interested. Hallelujah! Glory to God! Woo. Welcome to Church of the Word International this beautiful Sunday morning. Thank you for coming and assembling yourself with the body of Christ. 
this morning. I'd like to encourage you in the Word of God. Psalms 107 is one of my favorite psalms, and it starts off with, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Hallelujah. Don't you love to thank God? We have so much to be thankful for each and every day. You know, it doesn't matter what you're going through. If you just stop, close your eyes, and start counting your blessings, it will bring you up and out of anything. Thanking God, praising Him, worshiping Him. It is the all-time best weapon, spiritual weapon in warfare that you can do for yourself and your family. Just thanking Him, worshiping, praising Him. Satan hates that, by the way. And God loves it. Amen? So, oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is what? Good. For His mercy endureth when? Forever. <laughs> Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You've got to say it. You can't just think it. You've got to open your mouth. Your mouth is such a weapon of warfare. It produces life. Life for you. Life for your finances. Life for your family. Life for everything. God gave you life in your mouth. Amen? You have to say so. Whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. How many have been redeemed from the hand of the enemy in the house today? Hallelujah. One, two, three, four... <laughs> amen amen then they cried unto the lord in their trouble and who delivered you god delivers us from all our trouble on all our distress he leads us in the right way that we might go into the city of a habitation oh that men would praise the lord for his goodness for his wonderful works to the children of men for he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. Then he says again, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. Then he says it a third time. Oh, that men would praise the Lord. Let's all stand up. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembling of the elders. Oh, that men would praise the Lord. Do you feel it in your soul? Yeah. Oh, I want to praise the Lord. Yeah. For his good. He's a good, good God. He's Amen. a good father. He's, he deserves our thankfulness. Oh, let's praise the Lord. Amen. Not just the men, too, you know what I mean? <laughs> the women, too. Yeah. I mean, that's implied, but just in case you're wondering, it's like everybody. Right. So how many had a good Thanksgiving? Yeah. Get a lot to eat? Welcome to Church of the Word International Aerobics class. Today we'll try to shed a few pounds, praise go. God. Yeah. Amen. Okay. Enough kidding around.
honor and bless you and glorify you this morning. All will see that you are a great, great God. All will see, Father. We're not going to wait until we step into eternity to see you as a faithful Father and a great. We're going to do it right here and now as we have flesh according to our free will and our choice. You're an ever-present help in the time of need. You are love. You are peace. You are joy. You are present tense in our life. Not something we're going to, something we have right now. And Father, we do honor you. We thank you for the precious gift of your son, Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the living word. Every word he has spoken is the infallible truth on the earth today. We put our trust in the living word. Holy Spirit, you are so welcome in this place. You're celebrated. We desire that you move and do as you will in the hearts of everyone here today. We open up our hearts and our, and our eyes and our ear gates to receive the rhema word that you have for us today, a word that can change our lives forever. We, we submit ourselves to you, and we thank you that we're here in this atmosphere of love. Submit it to you. Have your way. We love you with all our hearts. We trust you with our entire lives. We thank you, Father. You are a good, good, faithful, faithful, unchanging Father who loves his kids. And we thank you for that. Amen. Well, one way we love our Father God is by loving one another. That's how we express that love that's been shed abroad in our hearts. So turn to someone and tell them you're glad you're here. And is there anything you can do for them? And just love on them. They're your brothers and sisters in the Lord. All of the... Everyone who's going to CityGate Lancaster and Columbia, I invite you to come on up forward at this time. Exciting that this week we get to go to two places, both Lancaster City and Columbia, starting a new work down in Columbia with CityGate. So such an exciting time and such a powerful testimonies that are coming out of the work that's been happening there. So stretch out your hands to the group here and let's pray over them. Father, I thank you that your word, that you watch over it. And we just lift up and exalt your word this morning. And Lord, I'm asking you that according to your faithful promises that you would confirm your word this morning where this group goes, both to Columbia and Lancaster City, that as they minister your love and your promises to the people, that their eyes and ears would be open to hear and receive it, and that the kingdom of God would be advanced this morning in those locations. I thank you for this, Father. I thank you that you give each one that's here, Lord, that your presence, that they would have an awareness of your presence in a greater way than before. And understanding of the authority and the realness of your love that they're carrying this morning. I thank you for it. I thank you for your protection on them. And, and that you would go before and prepare the hearts of those 
that they're going to minister to this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, and amen. All right, well, hallelujah. As you guys go, we're going to believe great things. Expect miracles. Good morning, everyone. Turn to Genesis chapter 26. We, we're going to just revisit this. I know we um, read over a scripture about Isaac a couple of weeks ago, but I want to kind of revisit this. So just real briefly, we're not going to read the story or the verses I read last time, but last time we had emphasized how Isaac, in a time of pressure and crisis, the word of the Lord came to him, and it wasn't logical. It didn't seem to make sense, but he obeyed even though it didn't seem to make sense in the natural. And we emphasize that. Well, this morning, I want to talk about sowing, um, because even though Isaac had the word of the Lord, he had the promise, if you, if we were starting in verse 1, I'm going to jump down to verse 12. Verse 12 says, and Isaac sowed in the land. Well, let me tell you a little more about the story. So there was a famine in the land, and Isaac's going to set out to Egypt. And as they were on the way, hadn't, didn't get very far, the word of the Lord came to them and said, don't go to Egypt. I want you to stay here, staying in the land of famine, staying where it's dry and dusty and ain't nothing growing. That was the word of the Lord to him. So Isaac did that, and it says in verse 12, and he sowed in that land. So I want to bring out that actions and words are seeds. And whether intentional or unintentional, we're sowing every day. And our actions, our sowing, is creating ripple effects. So I, w- I want to read um, in verse, well, let's, let's just read verse 2. And the, word, and the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to your Abraham to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. I will give to your offspring all these lands, and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Now here's what I wanted to get to. Because Daddy Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Do you see the ripple effect? The seeds that Daddy sowed down, are pa- being passed down to his generations, down the, down the family line. Now, we skipped over a certain section of verses here in verse 6 through um, 11. And I'm going to tell you about those verses. So, because this is, this is talking about ripple effects. This is a mistake in Isaac's life. Isaac lied, because so he, he left his homeland, he went a small journey from his homeland, and he's staying there, so now that he's kind of in a you know, this is not home. He lies about his wife. He says, she's not my wife, she's my sister. How many of you remember Abraham doing this exact same thing? The exact same thing. Do you see the ripple effects? Our actions, the, the things, the choices we make, we're sowing. So whether you sow this morning into the kingdom of God, a seed, believe that that ripple effect is going to go further than you can see right now in the natural for the kingdom of God. But I want you to just take a moment and let's take this even outside of finance and just on the inside. What have you been sowing? What words have you been declaring? What have actions have you been taking? Because you're making a ripple effect. 
Either way. Now, the good news is we don't remember Abraham and Isaac for lying. We think of Abraham and Isaac as men of faith. So I'm not saying that your kids are going to repeat every mistake you ever made. That's not what I'm saying. There's a way to cut that off. And your mistake doesn't have to define you. So I'm encouraging you this morning that to be deliberate and so, and even though we have the promise of provision, we have the promise of God that he wants to bless you, Isaac still had to sow. He still had to take an action. And uh, you know what? The day, day two after he put that seed in the ground, it was still dry and dusty. There was a time before that seed came to fruition. So I'm just going to encourage you this morning to sow and to sow in faith. Take an action in faith, believing God for the promise. Declare that. So that's the first thing. You've got to have the word of the Lord. We don't want to just sow and be in presumption. So you have the word of the Lord. You sow in faith. Amen? All right, let's take a hold of our tithes or our offerings. Let's present that to the Lord. Father, we just thank you this morning for your goodness to us. We're so grateful that you give us your promises, that we have your word to stand on. And Father, we just ask you to give us more revelation on how to sow and to reap a good harvest and how to create a ripple effect that will be to the good for generations and generations beyond us. We just thank you, Lord, that you meet every need in this house, that you bless the tithes and you bless the offerings, cause it to bring a great harvest for your kingdom and to the accounts of the people. In Jesus' name, and amen. And the ushers can pass the baskets. Well, good morning. It's a good morning to be here. We're going to take a moment before we jump into the sermon, and we want to do something special. And we have little Andrew here with us this morning. You say, well, who's Andrew? Well, he's just new to this whole scene, right? As far as new as being out in the open and in, in the environment, right? He's been here a number of times before. But uh, outside of the womb, this is his first time here. And so we want to bring Jonathan and Katie up and we're going to dedicate their little one to the Lord. They've been expressed and a desire to do so. You know, these children that we have in this house, and, and there's about a third of us, if you count us all up, a third of us in this house are children. And they're arrows. And you as parents and grandparents, they're arrows um, in your hand. And so how that we aim and, and shoot those arrows out into their destiny is very, very important for us as families, for us, us as parents, or if you're a grandparent and you're, you're raising up a child. And so without the Lord's help, this is like just a crazy difficult task. <laughs> but with the Lord's help, He gives grace and He gives all that you need to be able to do that for Andrew and for you to be able to do that for your children. And so you cannot possibly be studied enough or read enough child-raising books or any of those things that really hit the mark right outside of the Lord. It's as He gives you the wisdom. And He can show you things that 
uh, you couldn't possibly know or study or find in a book or understanding for each individual child. You know, the Lord loves each one of us, and we often say, well, you know, the Lord, you know, I'm His favorite, but then we also say the Lord doesn't have favorites, and um, the Lord doesn't love me more than He loves you. Well, the truth is, is He loves each one of us uniquely as we are as an individual. Because none of us are the same as an individual. So each one of us are unique in our own way. Well, Just like a parent. You say, well, which one of your children do you love the most? Well, I love each one uniquely in their own way. Right? I don't have, I don't have one that I love more than the others. I just love them, each one for their own personality, in their own way, in their own uniqueness. And that's the same way that the Lord is for us. And He would... He want, he's very, very keenly interested in every little one that's here. It was such a, 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 a thing of importance to him that at one point when the disciples wanted... The disciples, these guys are pretty precious to the Lord, right? I mean, he's very keenly interested in the disciples. Yet, when they wanted to stand between the little ones and the Lord, he's like, no, 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 wait. Bring them. Let them come to me. And he takes a little child and and holds it and sets them on his knee and blesses them. And so we believe in this house that it is the Lord's desire to bless our little ones. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We just call Andrew blessed and we're going to declare some things over him and, and covenant together with Jonathan and Katie about the future of their children. So I'm going to ask you a few questions and you can answer we do. And then uh, we as a congregation will make some agreements about Andrew as well. So Jonathan and Katie, do you desire that your child will grow in the fear and admonition of the Lord? Do you promise to provide for Andrew a Christian home where God is honored and His Word is taught? Do you pledge yourselves to live in such a way that your words and actions will commend Jesus and His church to Andrew? Do you promise that you will be a spiritual guide for Andrew, praying and watching for the day when he will be ready to receive Christ as personal Lord and Savior? Well, we as a church, we promise that we covenant with you, Jonathan and Katie, to provide a loving church home for Andrew. And you say amen. And we also promise to continue teaching the Bible in this church so that Andrew will never lack hearing the truth of God's Word as long as he comes here. Can you say amen to that? You know, Paul said that as a child he was alive unto the Lord. And then when the realization of sin came, he died. And so that was at the point that he had to make Jesus the Lord of his life. So as a child, that's found in Romans 7, if you're wondering where that's at. As a child, their little spirit is alive to the Lord, and and the Lord is is, um, keenly aware of them, and they are of Him, I believe. So let's just pray that the Lord's going to have His way over Andrew. Father, I thank You so much for Andrew. And Lord, we present him to you right now and we just declare him blessed and set aside and and set apart for you, Lord, for your kingdom, for the kingdom of light. 
And Lord, even as you uh, are alive in him now, we just look for the day that he'll recognize you as his Lord and Savior. And Lord, we, we call upon you, Father, from now till then, that you would minister in his heart and minister in his mind and, and that he would be sensitive to you even as a child. And then when that day comes, that day that he, he makes you his Lord and Master, that he would walk into the destiny that you have for him. I thank you for this. I thank you for your protection on him. We declare you protected, Andrew. Protected and kept all the days of your life. And Father, I ask you for wisdom for Jonathan and Katie as they lead Andrew, as they lead their family, that you would give them the understanding they need and how to uh, minister your truth and love to Andrew in his own unique way. And that you would give, help them to uh, see clearly what you have for Andrew, that they could prepare him for that day. And I thank you for this in Jesus' name. And is there anything you'd like to pray or say? Here, let me grab a mic. Amen. <laughs> the lights are bright up here, by the way. Never knew that. But, uh, yeah, I just want to thank the church as a uh, community uh, for being our family, for uh, receiving us into this house. Really appreciate the, uh, the love, the kindness, the generosity here. Appreciate each one of you. Just want to commend you all for being a, a believers, reading the word, believing it, and acting it out. So I just want to thank you all for that, uh, especially uh, during his uh, birth and everything, uh, the love that you guys showed. just want to thank you again for that. Uh, bless you all as you go and as you are in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good. You know the word. You may you may be seated. The word says to bear one another's burdens, and that's one of the ways we do it, right? How many of you in this house believe in being scriptural? Three of you. It's a good thing we've been teaching a series on repentance. I'm going to ask again, how many of you, I'm setting you up by the way, um, how many of you all, especially in the back half of this side, believe in being scriptural? <laughs> the word says that the first shall be last and the last shall be first, so why don't we just bring this whole back side up here, because the front half here is empty since we sent a whole bunch of people to uh, Citygate. Make me not feel so lonely. So there's a whole front three, four rows that can, can, you can sit in. If you're unable to move up here, that's okay, but you're all invited to come up and uh, get right front and central. <clears throat> like I said, I was setting you up. While you're coming up, I... <laughs> oh, you guys are funny. 